This is Still Rowing, a podcast where members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints share their authentic stories of struggle and triumph on their journey of discipleship, and just why they are choosing faith in the restored Church of Jesus Christ. Welcome to the Still Rowing Podcast. I am your host, Tara McCausland, and a giant welcome to Still Rowing's new host, Kim Stratford-Gale. I'm so excited you're here, Kim. Thank you, Tara. I am so thrilled to be here, and I'm I'm thankful for the growth that we'll experience together on this. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. Well, as I said in my last mini episode, and I introduced Kim briefly, um, I was, I really was planning on being done <laughs> with this, this uh, podcast. And so um, this turn of events is both unexpected and exciting. Um, but I have to just reiterate that Kim is a direct answer to a prayer. And, you know, Kim and I go way back. <laughs> and this is going to make me sound super old. I was actually Kim's piano teacher like 15, 16 years ago. Is that right, Kim? I mean, maybe maybe only a few less than that. I mean, <laughs> but yes, it was it was a bit ago. But yeah. Kim, Kim was awesome. She she wasn't the best practicer. I will, I'll be straight about that. But that I always appreciated about Kim when she walked into the door, she would bring this light and this energy with her. And you were probably what, 13 at the time? I think so. Yeah. yeah. And so anyhow, we do go way back and um, it's interesting how the Lord will put people in our path to, to do his work. And I feel like Kim is the, the right woman for the job right now. So thanks. Well, and do you want to tell us a little bit more about yourself, Kim? Sure. Yeah. Well, and speaking about the piano lessons, I think it was neat also because when I look back on my piano experience, it was positive, even though I was a horrible student, right? I still would come in and you'd give me a sticker and a treat. So it was a positive experience and it hasn't tainted any future plans of taking the piano again and trying to learn it. But more about me. Um, So I have uh, an amazing husband, Shad. We have been married for seven or eight years. It's honestly difficult for me to remember because Shad says something different every time someone asks (laughs) us how long we've been married. (laughs) So I'm going to say it was around seven or eight years ago. And we have a beautiful daughter, Eloise, and she was born last year. She's a pandemic baby. And she has brought so much light to our lives during such a year of uncertainties. Um, and isolation. And she was definitely a blessing for me to have this past year. Before that, I am an avid soccer player. I think Tara did mention that, but when I wasn't practicing the piano, I was definitely practicing soccer. Um, I love soccer. I love the relationships that I've gained through that sport, whether it be on an official team or just through a work or school intramural team but I love to play and I still play as much as I can. I graduated from the SJ Quinney College of Law at the University of Utah in 2020. Those three years were probably the most difficult years of my life Hmm. to date. (laughs) I, 
I experienced a lot of growth. I'm thankful for what I learned, but I definitely shed more tears during those three years than any other year of my life. But I was also the most meaningful and I'm thankful for what I've learned. I am a better mother now because I've because of what I have learned. And I'm also just a better, I feel citizen and I'm a better daughter of God. Everything, it just checks all the boxes, um, my law degree. So I'm especially grateful for that and for Shad's support. And beyond that, I'm, yeah, I, I don't know what else to say, Tara, but that I feel like those are kind of the main things about me. I do love popcorn. I do love. Hey, uh, you and me both. Yeah. White cheddar popcorn is my fave. I could consume mountains of that stuff. There you go. I just get the Costco butter popcorn in bulk. So, yeah. <laughs> Well, and Kim will have an opportunity moving forward to tell us more about her um, and more of her, her spiritual background. Um, but again, as I mentioned in my brief episode last week, I appreciate that, Kim, you've been very intentional about your choice to stay in the boat and to continue to feed your faith in a world that is very bent on tearing faith down. And so I'm so excited for our listeners to get to know you and to learn from you and to be strengthened by your testimony. Thank you. Yeah. I will say that the most important thing about me, anytime I get an opportunity to speak in church or something, the most important thing about me is that I am deeply converted to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So spot on. And I am excited to share my testimony at another time um, more fully with everyone. So thank you. Awesome. Well, and as a point of interest for our listeners, so obviously we have some changes coming with Kim coming on board, um, but we will be changing the posting schedule a bit uh, moving forward. So we will post full length episodes every three weeks instead of every two weeks, but we will be starting something new. And actually Kim and I haven't decided what we're going to, going to call it, but for right now, I'm going to call it a still rowing short. <laughs> <laughs> and either I or Kim will just be posting a brief devotional um, kind of mid uh, full length episode to just give you a little faith boost. And we're excited about those changes and we appreciate your patience with us as we're kind of finding a new, a new normal. Um, and that actually reminds me one of the best ways, if you love still rowing and you're grateful that we're still going, um, one of the best ways for you to support and share uh, the podcast is actually by rating and reviewing it on iTunes. Most of my listeners are on Apple. Um, I, I can see where you're listening from if that weirds anybody out. Um, but if you can rate and review the podcast, it, it makes it more visible for people who are actually looking for faith building content. And that really does help us out. It only takes a few minutes. So there's a little plug to rate and review. So again, thanks in advance for your support. Now, on to the meat of this episode. And I'm really excited about this, Kim. I, Kim's really been doing her due diligence and <laughs> has prepared well, and she's got some great things to share. And I don't know about you, Kim, but I, I feel like in just the past couple of years, particularly Satan has really upped his game. Many, many people are just feeling unparalleled levels of overwhelm and anxiety, anger, hopelessness and and you know for good reason with a raging pandemic and you know the political and social unrest that we've seen 
and the constant natural disasters that we read about and that we're experiencing throughout the world, men's hearts are failing them. We're seeing fulfillment of prophecy. Have you noticed that, Kim? Or is that just me? <laughs> oh, definitely. I've definitely noticed it. And certainly the word that comes to mind is just the divide that we have experienced, right? Politically, but also sometimes within the church. And um, it affects it affects all areas of our life. But that divide is definitely opposed to that unified feeling of Zion that we are trying to get to and certainly goes along and in line with that men's hearts are failing them if, if we're not unified if we're not together we we're divided and I think that's exactly what Satan wants mm-hmm. yeah so today we are going to talk about how we defend against the attacks of the adversary. And there's a great article in the September issue of Aliahona about this very subject. And this is where we took these points from that we'll be talking about. And I'll just preface it with this. Understanding the tactics of the adversary will really help us prepare and defend against them. And Heavenly Father, he's given us many tools to counter these attacks. One scripture that comes to mind is in Doctrine and Covenants, 38, where he says, if ye are prepared, ye shall not fear. But more than that, he says, and if you're prepared, ye may escape the power of the evil one. So Kim, I'll let you take it from there. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) The article discusses opposing spiritual forces, right? So exactly what Tara was getting at. And he, and, and the four of them are first, the capabilities of the adversary, and then the strengths of the adversary, the weaknesses and the motivations. And I've never considered looking into each of these four deeply, but when the article phrased it in a sense of, when you go to battle as if you are in the army or in the armed forces, you need to know all of these capabilities. So why not spiritually? Why not know them for the adversary? And and just thinking about this this past couple of weeks, It's important to know the capabilities, right? So first, he's real. Satan is real. A third of the hosts of heaven are trying to make us forget, right? The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis goes in depth in this. And the way that the book is described to people, the premise is that for every soul, there are good and evil forces fighting for every individual soul. And so when we think about the capabilities of the adversary, again, he is real and there are many of them out there. When you think about the strengths of the adversary, what are his strengths? Well, contention, uncertainty, pride, knowing these things helps us know what to expect. I think of the scripture Helaman 5.12. It's not if, you know, these um, difficult times and trials will come, it's when they shall come. Mm -hmm. Next, we look at the weaknesses. How do we beat the adversary? Prayer, service, humility, scripture study. These are all of the adversary's weaknesses. And I reference the screw tape letters. And again, in that book, it's so beautiful and right in line with what we're talking about. Because in that book, it discusses that as soon as a human soul kneels and prays to God, the ability and the unquestioning love of our heavenly father to open the doors of heaven for us to seek and to find answers and to find comfort whenever we get on our knees that's an immediate weakness um, for the adversary and lastly what are the motivations 
And this was an interesting one, Tara, because I had to think, why do we need to know the motivations? Why can't we just know that he's there? Mm-hmm. And when I thought about it, I said, well, if I know his motivations, then I realized that whenever I go down his path, I'm going to end up just like him because that's his motivation. He wants us to be miserable just like him. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like those, I think of, you know, those funny, sometimes Disney movies where you have a villain and then you have the minions. What happens to the minions when they follow that evil villain, right? Nothing ever good happens to them. And I just think, what are the motivations? It's not loyalty. It's not love. It's not service. It's, it's miserableness. Is that a word? Sure. <laughs> it's, we'll to be, <laughs> it's to be miserable and knowing that motivation, it just kind of feels like, his hand is shown to us. We know that it it just won't end well. So those are the four things, the spiritual forces, the opposing spiritual forces um, that was, that were discussed. Awesome. And so we're going to modify these points brought up in this article slightly. Um, But again, we took a lot of our ideas from that article and I will post that in the show notes if you're wanting to to look at that. Um, But we're going to be talking about four specific points today Um, The first is that Satan wants you to forget the plan, forget your divine heritage, and forget his reality, as Kim so eloquently mentioned. He doesn't want us to even believe that he's real, and there's power in that. The second point is that Satan attacks his strongest opponents. The third is that Satan will try to stop events of spiritual significance And fourth, Satan wants you to believe you are alone, that no one understands, and disconnect and divide us, which, again, as you mentioned, Kim, I feel like we we are seeing that so glaringly in in our country right now throughout the world that, you know, conquer and divide or divide and conquer is what Satan is doing with us. And so we're going to uh, take an opportunity to discuss each of these points. We'll kind of go back and forth. I hope that as we review some of these, as you're listening, I hope that you'll consider what tactic is the adversary currently using on you that perhaps you hadn't noticed before. Kim brought up a great point as we were uh, researching and preparing for this. Oftentimes, I think we just think we're having a, a bad day mm-hmm. and we, and we chalk it up as, oh, it's just life, but no, we, we do have opposing forces. We have a third of the host of heaven that fell that are currently on this earth trying to persuade and tempt and bring us down. All right. So let's start with this first point. And you know, the, these three things, I feel like they're all interconnected. So Satan wants us to forget the plan. Now, this was a number of, of episodes ago. I interviewed a gal named Melinda Brown. And um, I used this quote. We were talking about the plan. Um, but this is a, a quote from President Oak's talk back in April of 2020. And he said this, I share the conviction that has come to me from many letters and by reviewing many requests to return to the church after name removal or apostasy, many of our members do not fully understand this plan of salvation, which answers most questions about the doctrine and inspired policies of the restored church. And I, I love that quote, Kim, because I feel like for me, the way that I 
view the world is through a lens of the plan. And that's why I feel like I've been able to, to withstand a lot of the, the attacks of the adversary with all the confusion that's happening in the world, a lot of the social issues that can be very distracting and anxiety causing. When I filter that through the lens of the plan, it all makes more sense to me. And I understand why God asks us to do certain things and why certain commandments are in place. How has the plan and that your understanding of the plan helped you navigate some of the, the confusion and the difficulty oh, yeah. of this world? Well, it's so well said. I remember after some of the most tragic things that have happened in, in just American history. So think of the Newtown shootings, think of, think of 9-11. And I've heard remarks of persons that have said, how can there be a God? Mm-hmm. How can there be a God that would allow such horrible, monstrous things to happen and just in this lens that you've talked about, Tara, I think about the lens, looking at these things through the lens of eternal life, through the plan of salvation. And I think, how could there not be a God, right? I think that this is why, this is part of why I have the faith that I do, because it gives me so much hope during times of tragedy, but also sadness, everyday things. But yeah, that lens is crucial to everyday life for me. And again, it's how could there not be a God who could make all of these things right in the end? Mm-hmm. Well, and I I often use the, the word that President Nelson used uh, maybe two conferences ago, um, myopic, that when when we cannot view things through the lens of the plan, then we tend to have a very myopic view of everything that we see around us and everything that's happening to yeah. us. And if we're only looking at this act, at this stage of our existence, everything will feel unfair. We will likely question if there is a God, number one, and the love of God, if we don't understand what he's trying to do with this mortal experience. And so I know for a fact that Satan wants us to forget that there is a bigger plan and what's before us is just a blip in our eternal existence. And so, you know, how do we offset that uh, attack? Then we, we have to do things that will keep the reality and the, the truths of the plan forefront. So what, what would you say helps you keep that perspective that the plan provides? Sure. My mom, when I was younger, taught me this principle and gave me a necklace with the word remember engraved on it because she taught me Satan just wants you to forget, right? So I've always had that in the forefront of my mind. Satan just wants me to forget. I just need to remember. And some of the ways I've done that, I love turning to my patriarchal blessing. That's an immediate way for me to feel like there's not only a bigger plan, but also a specific plan for me, right? And fill of his love. And also I feel whenever I'm able to be humble and usually that requires just pray, just praying, getting on my knees and being humble. That humility again opens the windows of heaven to feel love and compassion. And usually it's through the service and love of other people, but it's just that humility of prayer, I think too. Hmm. I love that. Yeah. That word, remember that's I, I should rem- remember <laughs> how many times that's repeated in the Book of Mormon, but it's frequent yeah. because if we don't remember, then we're bound to have 
difficulty understanding why we're experiencing what we are. Yeah. Well, and closely tied to Satan wanting us to forget the plan is he wants us to forget our divine identity. And, you know, this is something that I feel like many people, even within the church, are getting tripped up by a lot of the social issues that we're dealing with because they don't understand how important our divine identity is and why that identity should trump all other identities and and how that blesses us. So for instance, for the the first year of motherhood, I really struggled (laughs) because I felt like I had lost my identity beforehand. I was a very involved goal oriented (laughs) person. And I had my hands in a, in a lot of stuff. And suddenly when I became a mom, which I was excited about being a mom, Mm -hmm. but all these other things that, that had, I had defined myself by, you know, my, my ability to be a a good student or um, an excellent employee. I suddenly didn't have those things that, that brought validation and, you know, people patting me on the back and saying how awesome you are. And I realized that that was hard for me because my identity wasn't grounded in my core identity, which was, I was a daughter of God. Right. It didn't matter if I was no longer, you know, this fantastic employee that was changing people's lives in the current work I was doing, or things had shifted but I was still at the core of the same person worthy of love because I was a daughter of God. And so I just feel like if we put too much emphasis on, I am even a, a mother or a wife, or I am a graduate of law school, <laughs> you know, and forget that really long before we were any of those things, we were a child of our heavenly parents beloved by them. And they had a unique plan to help us to become like them so that we could receive all that they had. What's been some of your experience with that? Right. Well, I mean, I'm a new mother. So everything that you shared, I say relatable and not to minimize what you're feeling to say that every mom goes through that, but relatable in that that's a pain. I think that is it's pervasive among new moms, right? Because it is a change. And I remember feeling that way, even from pregnancy to giving birth to postpartum, feeling like this is different. My life looks different now. Where do I get my worth, right? I'm not practicing law. I'm not playing soccer anymore. That's been my world. And now I am a mother. So everything that you shared was really struck a chord with me because that's that's my current place, right? <laughs> that's where I'm at. So I appreciated that. And I think... The only other thing I will add is that these roles that the world gives us change. And that's, I feel like what you're saying, right? These roles change, but the role that does not change is our divine identity and link to heavenly father. And that's where we can find that consistency um, throughout our lives is that consistent role that we play. Mm-hmm. And when, when we really embrace that as our core identity, that I am a child of God, then I'm not constantly looking for validation from other sources. And I feel like, you know, in, in our, in our internet age where everybody's just plastering their whole life (laughs) online and trying to make it look all pristine, 
if we understand that we are worthy of love and that our worth lies in the simple fact that we are a daughter or a son of God, then we won't be tossed to and fro by people's opinions of us and whether or not people approve of us. And as Latter-day Saints in this day and age, it's going to become that much more difficult to find validation in this world because the divide will grow as we are keeping God's laws and standards. So finding validation and finding our worth in him as his child will keep us stable. From the correct source. Yeah. President Packer said this, you are a child of God. He is the father of your spirit. Spiritually, you are of noble birth, the offspring of the king of heaven. Fix that truth in your mind and hold to it. However many generations in your mortal ancestry, no matter what race or people you represent, the pedigree of your spirit can be written on a single line. You are a child of God. So I love that. And finally, as an important part of this, before we came here, we, we believed that we lived with God and with one another. And Satan was there. He was our brother. He opposed God's plan and a great war began. And I think one of his greatest tactics is getting us to believe that number one, there is no battle. There's no war. <laughs> and, and number two, he doesn't exist. I really feel strongly that if we understand that Satan not only is real, he's not some, you know, story character with the, a tail and horns. He's not someone to be mocked. He is a real adversary that is trying to bring us down. So there was a really fantastic quote, actually, um, in that article that I'm going to have Kim read that speaks to this point. Yes. So President George Q. Cannon states, we would not be so unguarded and careless and so indifferent whether we had the spirit and power of God with us or not, but we would be continually watchful and prayerful to our heavenly father for his spirit and his holy angels to be around about us, to strengthen us, to overcome every evil influence. And I think this is in line with everything that President Nelson has been discussing and urging us to do, which is to have the spirit with us, right? It will, he says, it will not be possible to survive spiritually without the guiding, directing, and comforting and constant influence of the Holy Ghost. And that's why. Awesome. Love it. Well, so before we move on to the next point, just as a reminder, don't forget as we filter our experiences through the lens of the plan, as we remember our divine identity, and as we remember that Satan is real, um, all of these things will help us to recognize when Satan and his minions are, are confusing us and trying to get us off the path through those means of forgetting those key points. So I'll let Kim take the next point. Go for it. Okay. The second point discussed in the article is how Satan attacks the strongest opponents. And when we ask why, why is that? Again, we look to the motivating reason behind why Satan is doing what he's doing. It's because these persons that he's attacking 
have the most potential for eternal happiness, and therefore Satan's jealousy is his motivator. He wants us all to be as miserable as he is. His path doesn't lead to eternal happiness and peace. Where does it lead? It leads to where he is, which is misery. The article also discusses a wonderful Chinese fable that I think illustrates this point beautifully, and I just want to share that directly. It talks about a man traveling through the country came to a large city. He looked at it and said to the guide, this must be a very righteous people, for I can only see but one little devil in this great city. The guide replied, you do not understand, sir. This city is so perfectly given up to wickedness that it only requires one devil to keep them all in subjection. Traveling a little farther, he came to a rugged path and saw an old man trying to get up the hill, surrounded by seven great, big, coarse-looking devils. Why, says the traveler, this must be a tremendously wicked old man. Only see how many devils there are around him. This, replied the guide, is the only righteous man in the country, and there are seven of the biggest devils trying to turn him out of his path, and they all cannot do it. When I initially read this, I got a little teary-eyed because I thought of our prophet, and I thought of our apostles, and I thought of Relief Society presidents, and I thought of bishops. And I've and I remember from a young age to now, so many of these persons asking and pleading for our prayers. And it was reading this fable that reminded me of their pleas and why it's so important to do it. Sometimes we look at these persons and think they are so good. I want to be like them. I want to be where they are. And then we associate the word easy with it, right? Mm. And that's not necessarily the case. Their path isn't easy, um, especially when I have this visual. I mean, look at the, what does he say? The seven of the biggest devils trying to turn him out of his path, you know? So I, I love that picture and it's humbling. And it's a reminder for me to include these persons in prayer on temple prayer roles. They've asked for our help. And again, the reality of Satan and and the third of the hosts of heaven is real. It became real when I read that. Tara, any thoughts about the fable? Yeah, I love that as well. Maybe that's overwhelming to some people to think the more righteous we are, the more um, opposition that we will be faced with. Um, and I know that that is true, but I also want to say on the flip side that I know that there is an armor of protection as we keep commandments and uh, covenants. When we do that, we have the protection of God's hosts of heaven and the Holy Spirit. Satan and his minions are going to put in great effort in bringing down uh, their strongest opponents, like a prophet, like apostles, like true blue members of the church, because their victory is that much greater. And um, these people have influence over others. And so I was just going to suggest to our listeners, we don't see people throwing actual stones at the prophets in 2021, but there has been a lot of verbal stoning of the prophets going on. Recently, there was the, the firestorm with Elder Holland and his remarks at BYU. I don't want to 
invalidate some of the, the pain and the difficulty that people feel at times when, when words are spoken by a prophet or a, an apostle that they, that they may genuinely love and admire. I believe that Satan, there is great victory when we, when we turn against these men. They're not perfect, but they have and hold a mantle. And there have been significant promises tied to the following of prophets and their prophetic counsel. There are no promises for those who turn their backs on the brethren. And again, you know, I'm, I'm very um, transparent on this podcast about the fact that I know these men aren't perfect. These men and women who are in auxiliary positions, but God has placed them there for a reason. And it is my experience and my testimony that as we trust these, these men and women, as we receive their word with patience and faith, as it talks about in the doctrine and covenants, as we are faithful to their counsel, and as we sustain them in word and in deed, that protection is given to us, that will not be afforded to us if we, as I said, uh, metaphorically stone them and turn our backs. Yes. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. And it is a great point, right? That I love that you shared the armor of God that we have when we do follow our savior and we follow the prophets and apostles, though the road isn't going to be easy. And though there will be temptations, right? For people like you and me, true blue, it is very true. And I appreciate you bringing that up and emphasizing that. And the bottom line, you know, at the end of the fable, the biggest devil is trying to turn him out of his path and they cannot do it. It's an emphatic, it can't be done, right? So there's hope and, and faith in that as well. So I think there's so much that we could say about this, Kim, mm-hmm. but maybe as a final piece here, I just want to emphasize that we shouldn't be surprised with these firestorms mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that come up against the words of the prophets and against the prophets themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, it has always been one of the, the challenges that has always been a part of the, the Christian way is to follow imperfect men and women and trust that God is working through them. Mm-hmm. But I, I believe that we have enough evidence in scripture <laughs> that as we trust in God's anointed, that he will bless us. I just wanted to leave or end this point with this particular quote from President Harold B. Lee. He said, there will be some things that take patience and faith. You may not like what comes from the authority of the church. It may contradict your political views. It may contradict your social views. It may interfere with some of your social life. But if you listen to these things, as if from the mouth of the Lord himself, with patience and faith, The promise is that the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. Yea, and the Lord God will disperse the powers of darkness from before you and cause the heavens to shake for your good and his name's glory. So, whoa, I'm all over that promise. (laughs) Give me some of that protection, right? (laughs) So moving on to this next point, Um, Satan tries to prevent significant spiritual events from occurring. So in the article, some of the things that the author brought up were, uh, you know, Adam and Eve 
partaking of the fruit, Satan actually thought he was foiling God's plan (laughs) and tempting Adam and Eve that I think that's a great example to show the wisdom of God. Um, But also Christ fasting in the wilderness for 40 days and and Satan coming and and trying to tempt him. And certainly more recently, uh, the experience that Joseph Smith had when he uh, had the first vision just prior to the coming of, of God and the Savior his tongue was bound and he felt like he was, he was being attacked by some unforeseen being. So we, we see this in scripture, Satan puts great effort into trying to prevent important things of a spiritual significance. And I actually had a, an experience with this that I wanted to share. So um, as I've mentioned a number of times on this podcast, I served a mission in the Leeds England mission prior to leaving I experienced something that I had never felt before. Uh, I I would say it was probably a few weeks leading up to my departure. And I have to kind of preface this with that I, from probably the age of four, had intended to serve a mission. I wanted to serve a mission. I was going, you know, it was in the plan. Um, But just a few weeks before my, my departure, I started feeling this incredible heaviness and anxiety. And interestingly, just, I felt like all of my imperfections and weaknesses and sins just all were before me in my face constantly, just this record in my brain playing over and over of why I wasn't worthy, why I wasn't able, why I shouldn't serve a mission. And you know, what's funny, Kim, is I really, at the time I didn't think about, oh, maybe this is the adversary working on me. <laughs> like, isn't it funny how we sometimes yeah. put it together? Mm-hmm. Um, but all I knew is that I was feeling incredibly weighed down. And I honestly, literally felt I had like a little devil on my shoulder talking to me all day long about why I would be a crummy missionary and that I shouldn't go. And so I decided, you know, I can't leave like this. I feel terrible. <laughs> um so I decided that I would, and before this time, you know, I had, I had fasted before, but never really had a significant experience with fasting. But I, I recall thinking, I've been told that there is power in fasting. Mm-hmm. So I had received my endowment at this point. So I went to the temple fasting and with a prayer in my heart that somehow this heaviness, this, this anxiety, this doubt would lift And I remember distinctly coming out of a session and entering the celestial room. And I was actually in the Provo temple and those who know the Provo temple, I don't know if it's still there, but at the time there was a large picture of the savior, which is interesting. A lot of temples don't have um, pictures in the celestial room, but there was a, a large picture of the savior in the celestial room. And I remember looking at that picture And it was as if a literal weight was taken from my body. Mm -hmm. And I just started to cry just out of relief Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, because I I felt so much heaviness and I knew that God had answered my prayer and I was able to move forward and, and go on my mission. Um, But that experience, it made it so evident to me that when we, when we are trying to do God's work and build his kingdom, he will put things in our path 
people, or he may even just have, there was no, nothing, no person that was uh, causing this anxiety, but there was, there was a real power that was trying to, to deplete my confidence in my ability to do what I felt like I had been called to do. Have you ever had an experience like that, Kim? I have. When I read this article, I was reminded every time I go to the temple and that, and I'm not exaggerating every time I go to the temple or I'm preparing to go, I experience some form of contention or frustration and it's frustrating <laughs> because I'm so excited and we have, whether it was a temple date or I was going just individually, I was so excited because I knew of the peace and the joy that I would feel. But every time preparing to go, it was like, maybe I would get annoyed by something that Shad did. That wasn't annoying, but I would just get annoyed, right? Mm -hmm. Something wouldn't go right. Something would fall apart, you know? And reading this, I'm grateful to know about the adversary and what he's trying to do because now I can prepare against it. And even taking on this podcast, I thought this, you know, is going to be many and multiple spiritual significant events. And I know from experience how easily frustrated the spirit is in my life just by, again, these moments of contention or frustration. And every single time I've prepared for this podcast or now I prepare for the temple, I get on my knees and I just say a prayer. Can things go smoothly or can you just help the spirit be with me so that I, when I get to the temple, I'm at peace, right? I'm not hanging on to these lingering feelings of contention that will in essence ruin my whole experience, right? At the temple or through this podcast. And it has been incredible. The moments and the feelings of peace and even direct, I mean, even I had an experience just recently with this podcast and just in the study that I was doing and, and deciding to share it with my friends and family that I was going to do this podcast, I started to feel an immense amount of doubt, of vulnerability, and I just felt scared. And I, and I had a thought, a very distinct thought, and I want to share this story later, so I won't go into too much detail, but I had a very distinct thought of what to do, and it solved my, and it solved everything, right? The, mm. Your experience of looking at the Savior and feeling that weight lifted is, are the literal feelings that I had. It's physical, right? It's not just mental or spiritual. It's a physical feeling that I had that lifted that burden, that lifted the contention and allowed me to proceed with preparing for the podcast, preparing for the temple. And I'm grateful for that. And again, if we continue to deny that it's the adversary, then we will continue to not prepare against it. And then we will continue to have, quote unquote, the bad days, right? We have to acknowledge who's behind it and we have to prepare. Yeah, I love that. If we know that it's the adversary, that's causing these issues in our life. We also know the remedy, right? That through God, we find the power to overcome these difficulties. And so we keep talking about the power of prayer. Gosh, I'll tell you what, Kim, the older I get, the more I realize that really is a lifeline mm -hmm. that keeps me afloat without prayer. I think there have been so many days for me as a mom, particularly when I've just felt done, <laughs> Um, that 
but when I, the sooner I get on my knees, the sooner I'm able to just move forward and things don't necessarily change. My circumstances don't necessarily change, but there is an actual power. Just like if I were to go plug in to a <laughs> electrical socket, there is an actual power that comes from heaven as a result of a faithful prayer. And I just wanted to put in as a side note, you know, it's interesting that you always feel that, uh, that contention or that obstacle prior to going to the temple. For me, it's actually the opposite. Mm-hmm. It's after I go to the temple yeah. that I'll kind of have a slump. And I was saying this to my husband um, a few weeks ago when we were able to finally go back to the temple. I just had a bit of a slump for a few days. And I was like, you know what? This is so rude. Like I expect to have like this. <laughs> I went to the temple. I should feel amazing. But there, there will be an initial slump and then I'll, I'll come out of it. And some people could chalk that up too. Well, maybe... Maybe the temple isn't what you think it is. You know, maybe it's not. And I just know from my own experience that that is not true. I, I, I feel the power in the temple. Reality hits often after the fact, but I always feel an increase of power within like a week (laughs) to continue to move forward. And so that's another thing that we have to, to be mindful of is that we equate like, Oh, if I'm saying my prayers, if I'm reading my scriptures, if I'm going to church every week, if I'm going to the temple, I'm, I shouldn't feel discouraged or depressed or anxiety at all. Right? No, no, that's a lie. That's again, that's Satan speaking. We will continue to have opposing forces working on us and in in greater numbers Mm -hmm. when we're trying to do good. But eventually Kim, when, when I need the strength, it always comes and I can testify that. We're going to wrap up with our, our final point here. We're going to let Kim take this one. So the last point, Satan wants you to believe you are alone, that no one relates or understands, and a feeling of disconnection. And we kind of spoke about this, about the current times politically within the church and our communities. There's disconnection. There's a divide. One of the greatest gifts of the atonement of Jesus Christ is his ability to succor us because he perfectly knows our pains and sufferings. We've been taught that from the beginning of our time in the gospel, right? The Holy Ghost we know can, one, help us feel the exact love and comfort we need at that precise moment, and two, teach us how to love and succor others. So doesn't it make sense knowing that those are the direct powers and gifts of the atonement of Jesus Christ that the adversary is trying to tell us otherwise, right? He is trying to tell us the direct opposite that nobody understands who could possibly understand this situation. You are completely alone and divided. In Elder Quentin L. Cook's talk, he talks about how unity exemplifies the first and second great commandments to love God and to love our fellow men, because this denotes a Zion people whose hearts and minds are knit together in unity. Again, Zion is all about unifying, loving God and loving others. So what does Satan want? He wants an organization. He wants us to be separated and divided. Again, President Nelson's message in the priesthood session in April 2021 emphasized how we need each other. And I love this because he spoke about the COVID-19 pandemic 
And he said, so much of that isolated us and it did divide us physically. But the important thing is, is that we learned, especially as members of the Church of Jesus Christ, that it's important to never be divided and to never be isolated as wards, as branches, as communities. He says, we can accomplish so much more together than we can alone. God's plan of happiness would be frustrated if his children remained isolated one from another. I love the structure of the church for this reason. And I don't know, Tara, if you have any specific stories about this, but I love the structure of the church because I love that. I I don't like the word assign. I hesitate using that word, but we are assigned people to just check in on each other. Mm -hmm. We're assigned to help each other, which actually turns out to be less of an assignment and more of a joy to get to know somebody else as a ministering um, companion or as people that we minister to. And I love, I just love that word minister. Um, It's loving and it's reaching out to others, ensuring that people feel the love of our savior, Jesus Christ through our efforts. I think a lot of my faith and testimony is grounded in the service that has come from other people. Mm. And a lot of those people weren't even, you know, assignments to minister to my family or me. They were people who knew that I needed to be uplifted. I have a dear friend from Springville, Utah, who knew that I was struggling, who knew that there was difficult things happening within my family. And she would just pick me up and she would take me to Sonic and sit in the car with me for hours and just let me talk and we'd get drinks. Hmm. And I love that because I feel like she understood that in that moment, I was feeling alone. I was feeling separated. I didn't feel like people my age could relate or understand what I was going through. And I believe that that's one of the powers of the atonement of Jesus Christ. With the spirit as our guide, it teaches us how to serve and love others as the savior would if he were here. And when I think of that woman and what she did for me, I think of her as a direct angel from God, you know, being sent to help me and to help me not feel alone. And that's why I love the structure of the church because it promotes and encourages that type of behavior, right? And that type of community and yeah, and it's beautiful. Yeah. Well, and one, one thing that I do love about that is that we're, we're forced to interact with people who may not have the same interests or (laughs) even, uh, you know, certainly political views or uh, social (laughs) views Mm -hmm. as we do, even within our word family not even within our word family, especially within our word family, we're, we're going to have to bump, bump against each other a bit in order to really learn to love people well. And, and that's a part of a big part of what the church does for us as, as Christians is it helps us learn to love people who are different than ourselves. I've talked a lot about this on this podcast. We are trying to become a Zion people and that's very hard in a world that has become increasingly contentious and divided. But our Heavenly Father expects us to be more concerned about loving others than being right. And that's not to say that we set aside what we feel like is, is important and good. But to love God, we must love his children. 
And that means sometimes setting aside our political views, our social views, and looking in the eyes of, of that individual and saying, what can I do for you? How can I help you today? And that's really when we have won and when the, the adversary loses because he wants us to see those differences and to use those to pit us against each other. Absolutely. Yeah. But we don't have to be the same to be unified. We can be unified in our joint love for Jesus Christ and recognize that we are all a work in progress, that we all struggle with different sins <laughs> <laughs> and that the Lord is, is playing the long game with each of us as he just brings us one step at a time back to him. And that journey looks different for all of us. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I love the fact that in this church, there is a structure that allows for us to care for one another. And when we're feeling disconnected, one of the great remedies is to allow ourselves to be served and to look for others to serve. So many of our worries and our troubles, we, we gain perspective from serving those who are also struggling. Right. Well, and, and I'm, I'm reminded of our baptismal covenants to mourn mm -hmm. with those that mourn. And part of being able to do that is the person who is mourning to open up and to share and to be vulnerable, right? We can't always have that amazing spiritual thought to go and knock on somebody's door because they're in need, right? Sometimes it's up to us to come out and ask for the help that we need and allow others to mourn with us. And, and I think that's one thing that I've learned and loved about this podcast, Tara, is as you have talked to some individuals who have been through some of the most tragic things that I could imagine of going through on this earth, they talk about the joy and the peace that came from gathering and from letting letting others love them through their trial, letting others be there for them and uplift them when it would have been so much easier. It felt so much easier to just stay home, to mm -hmm. just deal with it by yourself. But as soon as they opened up, they were met with loving arms. And I think, and I think part of why it becomes easier to open up is because that love that we feel from others allows us to also feel the love of our savior, Jesus Christ. Yes. Yes. Spot on. Well, I'll, I'm going to be up front with our listeners. Kim and I weren't exactly sure how this is, this was going to go down, <laughs> <laughs> but I have loved this conversation. Me Kim, too. And I hope for you, um, our listeners that you are recognizing where perhaps adversary has been trying to get you down and consider what tools you can better use uh, to bring the power and the protection of heaven into your life. I know that while this world can feel overwhelming, our heavenly father has provided all that we need to not only sustain faith, but to thrive here. And to, even in the, the painful experiences and, and the chaos, there can be joy and, and growth. And, you know, I've been feeling that Kim, these last few weeks, as I started school, I'll tell you what, I was feeling, when you talk about feeling some, some of Satan's <laughs> work on you, I, I was feeling it. I was feeling all sorts of doubt, wondering, am I really doing what I should be doing? Mm -hmm. This feels almost too hard. 
too, like too much. And I've been amazed that as I've relied on the Lord, trusted him one day at a time, as I talked about in the last episode, that he's blessed me with the strength I needed today to accomplish uh, the tasks at hand. And I have been happy. I've not been like a total stress case like I was expecting to be. (laughs) So, well, thank you so much for being with us today, listeners. And um, I, I think you can tell just based on this time that you've had with Kim, she's going to be epic at this. And I just, I just, I just love you, Kim. Thank you so much (laughs) for having the courage to do this with me. So thanks for being with us today, friends till next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the still rowing podcast. If you would like a little daily motivation to keep rowing, you can find me on Instagram at churchofjesuschrist underscore sr underscore podcast and on Facebook at churchofjesuschristsrpodcast. Also, if you've been enjoying this podcast, if you would go to iTunes and leave us a rating and review, that would help us spread the word about still rowing. Thanks again for listening.